0: Hello and welcome to another episode of She Rises. I'm your host, Javonica Poza, and today we're talking about sex and intimacy with expert Monica Day. Monica is obsessed with the areas of life that invite us to admit our deepest desires, stir our greatest passions, and face our most potent fears. As both a writer, performer, and a coach facilitator, she addresses the areas of race, gender, class, power, and sexuality in a myriad of ways. Ultimately, she sees these critical issues as holding the key to both our individual and collective freedom. Her performance credits include two solo shows, Song of the Sacred Whore, and Falling into Love, and a collaborative effort, The Secret Order of the Libertines, An Intimate Revolution. She was the creator and host of Sensuality, an evening of erotic expression in New York City and Philadelphia, and the producer and lead coach for the innovative Power of One program, which uses the solo show format as a vehicle for personal and cultural transformation. As a coach, she works with individuals and couples, offers workshops, and regularly offers innovative group programs. You can find Monica at monicaday.com. I'm so excited to have her on the show. I really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. It is intimate in nature. And if you have any little ones listening, you may want to save this show for your private time. Hello, and welcome to the show,
1: Monica. I am so excited to have you here. Hi, Giovanna. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah,
0: I'm really, really excited. And you know, because of copywriting and loyalty reasons, we can't play the song I wanted to play, but I was going to start off by singing, Let's Talk About Sex, Baby. And that's all I'm going to say, because, you know, I don't have the money to dish out the royalties. I hear you. <laughs> so I am really excited to have you on the show. You're probably, you know, we've I've touched on the topic of intimacy and sex before in some other shows, but you're my first official sex That's So I'm going to call you. And I'm really excited <laughs> to have you on because I really think this is a topic that I would say for most of my life, I avoided talking about, you know, it's kind of the thing that you do when private and you don't talk about it. But as I've evolved and as I've learned and, and grown and, you know, been in and out of relationships, I've really seen that, you know, this is beyond the act of sex. Like there's a there's mm-hmm. intimacy lessons and things at play here. And I, I love that you're my first person on the show to talk about this because I know how deep we're going to go and I'm really excited about that. So welcome and thank you for being here.
1: Absolutely. And it's funny if I can just say something Please. about the word sexpert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I really look at sex as foundational mm-hmm. to all of our lives. So in many ways and and this has been sort of one of my challenges over the years which is that I don't really look at it as an expertise in sex per se or you know I don't call myself a sex coach or I refer to it sometimes even as the ghetto of sex, right? In the <laughs> in the realm, <laughs> right? That that we keep doing that to sex, we keep relegating it to the bedroom or to some little corner. And if people work with sex in their practice, that's all they work on. And and I really have wanted to get it out of that box and into just sort of the broader landscape of people's lives. You know, we eat, we sleep, we have sex. It's that foundational.
0: Thank you for, for putting a pin in that right from the beginning, because that is something that I really want to bring throughout the whole show. And I'm glad that you really Gave us that definition because it is a foundational piece, and it's it's not relegated, like you said, to the act. It is the the intimacy and how much a part of our lives and our self this is. So, thank you so much for for bringing that in there. And I wonder if you could share with the audience a little bit of your story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I say, in fact, you you reference the book. I, I say in the book in the very preface that most of what I wrote in this book, I might myself didn't know a little over a decade ago. And it really is the result of kind of a personal journey and a personal transformation. I actually refer to it as a revolution on my end. I think in many ways, my life followed the same trajectory as most of ours do, right? Which is that we get some kind of script. The script is not the same for everyone, but it's some version of, you know, my parents said to do X and Y, and so I did and, you know, what? went to school, got a degree, got married, had kids, whatever your script is. So I did my script. And then I hit a point where I just felt like there was something missing. And I felt very out of balance. The way that I, the way that I describe it is that there was something off in my nervous system, right? Um, meaning that I was, uh, I don't know, I was being the breadwinner for my family. I had a, a business. I put my ex-husband through school. I raised, you know, these two kids, and so I was very driven. You know, just going, going, going. Very driven. And when the day came that I asked my uh, now ex-husband for a separation, I wasn't really looking for a divorce. I just was looking for a separation. Like I needed to take a breath and look at what were the dynamics of this relationship. Why was I feeling the way I was feeling? And what I said to him that day is I said, I, I feel like I'm one cell division away from cancer. And wow. I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is
0: I, I just, I had to take a breath there that just caught me in my chest because that's I mean, I want to say me too. I've been there and it's a huge thing to not just say, but to realize like in the, in the core of your being.
1: Yes. Right. And I, I sometimes flinch a little when I share that story. Cause I think on one hand, I think, Oh, that sounds so dramatic. And yet I love your reaction. Right. I think is, is there's also this place of realness where I think so many of us uh, have been there. And for, so at that point, that was, that was one of, of the um, signs (laughs) that I needed, that there was something that I had to discover about myself. Now, the other thing that started to happen, and I often say that poetry is my first language, uh, meaning that it's just a very natural form uh, for me to think in and to write in. And so here I'm I'm separated um, and... Uh, I, I'm probably somewhat depressed. I mean, I, I don't use that term loosely, but I was doing that thing where I would drop the kids off at school and then all of a sudden I'd sit on the couch and all of a sudden it was time to pick them up again. And I don't, I can't really account for those hours, right? So I was definitely not my usual self. But the only thing that I was doing uh, was I was writing erotic poetry. And I was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> okay, so you hadn't done that prior to this. Like that wasn't in your- I. I no, I hadn't been. I mean, I wrote, uh, you know, like I said, I've been writing poetry for as long as I can kind of remember, but no, I wasn't writing erotic poetry <laughs> very regularly through all that time. And um, so I thought, okay, this is interesting. And then um, I, uh, some friends were encouraging me. They said, well, you know, you should start sharing your poetry again. That was something I had done years and years before. And, you know, they said, oh, well, you should go. It's very beautiful. Uh, So I did, and and that just sort of started to tumble me down this rabbit hole of meeting people who were um, uh, interested in the topic of sensuality and sexuality and were researching it in in various ways. And I I really just took it on for myself as something I, I felt like I needed to learn something about. I had a lot of little hints along the way where there was this... This part of me that I think um, was buried under a lot of shame. I have another book that'll be coming out in a few months where I write more personally about some of these stories, uh, you know, kind of coming of age stories where, uh, you know, I had a lot of shame about my genitals. I had a lot of shame about my desire. I had a lot of, um, I think what I've come to learn are very typical, uh, passed down ideas about myself as a sexual being that um, I just wasn't at peace with. And I I just, I lost my virginity non-consensually. So when I was 14, I spent many years, these are all things that in some ways I had come to terms with enough to be in my life. And I think that's an important distinction. We can work through things enough to function. Mm. We can even work through them enough. I worked through them enough to get married and have children and you know there's a certain degree to where you have to work through things enough to keep moving forward. And I did all that, but I hadn't worked through it enough to be free.
0: This is really great and it's completely poignant for this day and age and especially for what's happening now in the media. You know, we have this Me Too movement that started, and I didn't know we were going to go here, but I want to go here. You know, I I you brought up something that's really, as I said, poignant. You know, there is a lot of latent. You know, some of it's known, some of it's unknown in terms of origin, but there's this sexual and body shame that, for whatever reason, and every woman has their own reasons that that gets in the way of us experiencing the full potential. Of our sexual being and even the intimacy that that is possible, could you speak to that a little bit?
1: Absolutely, and uh, and I know that you know a lot of your listeners are women, but I also want to say that men are not free from right. this absolutely at, at all either. And I think it's just important to say that because this is something we're very much in together, and. I really came over time, and like I said, this was, you know, just like over a decade uh, where I started really diving into this both for myself and then eventually with other people, and what I discovered was that you had said earlier, which I love, there is sex the act and there is sex the energy, and most of us are not taught at all, from early, early stages, how to, number one, discern between those two things. We don't have any sense of mastery uh, in either realm, but especially of our energy. And I think what's interesting about this movement, which you mentioned, is that we're not even very clear of the parameters of what we're talking about. And, and I think that there's one end of things where there is definitely predatory behavior, uh, issues of power that get worked out around sex, all of that. But there's also this huge swath that I'm going to call the muddy middle, right? Mm -hmm. There's the muddy middle. And that is certainly not the totality of of what we're hearing uh, being aired right now, right? But I think that because we have so little in the way of distinctions and communication patterns and just any way to uh, put a voice to this from early ages we we get to a point where when we are in these situations we lose our discernment we lose our voice you know I've seen I've seen the me too uh, things come up and then I've also seen you know a lot of men starting to try to step into it with you know, saying their version of, I have, well, I have not listened to someone pushed past where I could have, you know, a lot of these things. And I really feel as though we could clarify so much Um, And we could clean up so much if we just started to have some type of uh, shared ways of looking at and talking about and experiencing and feeling ourselves sexually, uh, both, uh, both individually and also in relationship with each other and took off the taboo around it. I think that would solve so much of the issue.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it's in my opinion, like it's it's the taboo around it that has actually created all the problems, and it's it's societal too. Because there's some societies where you know sex is just like a thing. It's like eating, breathing, brushing your teeth. You know, and it's not demonized and it's just natural. And then there's other societies where you know we can blame it on the Quakers if we want to, but there's other societies where it's still relegated to these like, you know, in the closet shame situations. And I love how, you know, going back to your book, how you're really like giving people all the different options to explore intimacy and sexuality and play with that. And I wonder, um, could you speak a little bit to, you know, if there's listeners that are listening in right now, and maybe they're, they're captivated by the subject, but they're just sort of in this place where like, yeah, that sounds really great. But like, I have no idea, like a, if I even have sexual shame, and if I do, like, how do I start to, you know, work with it and, and sort of break free from that, especially within the complex Kinds of a relationship. Absolutely, and I gave and you a it, lot there. I noticed that. Yeah, I was going to say no. <laughs> it's like, good. Wait, where I'm, where I'm
1: like, <laughs> where am I going to start on this? <laughs> I think it's an interesting question. That's that's actually what I started to um, stutter with for a second. Is do I have shame or not? And I think that's a I think that's a great question. And and I would even break it down further. I actually just spoke uh, on a panel and uh, recently, and it was a great conversation that brought up the place where race and sex have some intersections, right? And there was a man there, an African-American man, and the topic of uh, restraint came up, right? And everybody was, you know, has fun with that, right? Handcuffs and being tied up and, you know, all of that and he said to me that is that's too triggering around the my ancestry and experience in, in my history around slavery he said and i don't want to be thought of as inhibited and less free because i'm not into that now that was a great point, yeah. <laughs> right? So I I think that this idea of what is shame, what is just that's not my thing, right? What is uh, taboo? What is this place of you know my, my other favorite uh, um, story is going back to uh, early research in sexuality, and of course every time I talk about this I blank his name, uh, but the the famous sex researcher who uh, asked all these questions of people and uh, every single person that he interviewed about their sexual habits and thoughts and desires and what they want. And, you know, it was kind of a landmark study that ha- uh, was done over time. He said every subject at the end asked him one question, always the same question. And it was, am I normal? Oh, Yeah. yes oh my god i love that right right so i think it's a really interesting question how do we know and to me that's that really becomes about Having ownership of one's sexuality, of one's sexual expression, you know, being at ease in your sexual uh, experience, what you decide to do, what you decide not to do, and can you be at peace with it? I think that right there is a revolution for a lot of people and not having some external idea of how comfort how comfortable and free and wild and and this and that you should be. But just like what feels good in your system?
0: I absolutely adore that you just said that because and both stories are amazing examples because you know we aren't given the owner's manual, right? There and there is no owner's manual, even if it was, you know, it's not hiding somewhere. It's it's individual. And just because you're not into whatever kink or SNM that, you know, is supposedly oh like you're so free if you're into that just yeah. cuz you're not into that it actually doesn't mean anything and what i it's what is good for you and what feels good for you and what i really got from what you were saying was this other level of self judgment that <laughs> that comes into play it's like oh well if that's not for me then i must be a prude, or I must be frigid or I must be, you know, just not, not cool enough or whatever it is. And I love that this piece is coming into the conversation because, and, and your book too, it's about exploring what works with you And on the other side of that, it's, it's getting out of the fear, right? Because sometimes I think we don't try things and we don't explore things because we're so afraid of what it means if I do, right? So we have the side of what it means if I don't. And then what does it mean if I do do that? So let's talk about, I want to talk about that a little more about that you know exploration, and maybe even if you can bring in some tips and tools that you use with your own personal clients,
1: something that the audience can take away. Absolutely, one of the things, if you notice that we do so often to undermine ourselves, is look at the language that we use around sexuality. It's all performance based, right? If a if a totally uh, if a man true. can't get up get get a hard on, then he can't perform, right? If a woman isn't having an orgasm. She can't achieve orgasm, right? <laughs> Interesting point. Yeah. So all of our language is steeped in a performance. That's that's one thing. And then we have a lot of judgment. So one of the things I talk about in the book, for example, is making a distinction between sensation-based language and judgment-based language. So if I touch you in some kind of way and you say, oh, that feels good, well, I that good tells me nothing, right? But if what you say to me is, oh, I love the softness of your touch and how you're just using your nails a little tiny bit and, you know, I would love just a little bit more pressure. That gives me a lot more information. (laughs) Totally. Right? I can actually feel something. So... That's a lot of where I go with people is taking off all those layers of performance-based anxiety that's laying over top of our sex and also judgment-based language and start to get to, you know, I open the the very beginning of the book when you open it is a little um, piece of one of my favorite poems by Mary Oliver. And she uses this great language. She says, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. Mm -hmm. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. I love that. I did read that at the beginning and I love that quote. It's just one of my favorites. Um, (laughs) And this whole book really was inspired... It wasn't meant to be. It didn't set out to be a book. It didn't know it was going to be a book when it grew up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It really was uh, kind of a reaction to the popularity of Fifty Shades of Grey, right? And I think that that took a lot of people by surprise. Whether it should have or not, I don't know. I mean, if you look at the romance novel industry, right, that's a multi-billion dollar industry. So we know that we have desires, but there was some something about Fifty Shades of Grey that just like took that up by a lot of notches.
0: and Absolutely. And the popularity of that movie and the, I mean, I went to see it in the theater and like the women's reactions and it was just, I mean, it was, if anything, it was amazing research
1: just to see Absolutely. how the, the reaction to it. Right. And you know, it is funny. I, I know someone who works in the ER as a nurse and she was sharing with me that uh, there were certain types of injuries that kept oh, making it to the <laughs> emergency room because people were trying things and didn't know what they were doing. So, oh my God. I feel now we should have added a disclaimer to the show. Oh, Nobody
0: just- try anything- it's, don't Acrobatic try at this home. at home. Don't try this well, at home. Well, it's so
1: funny. I have little disclaimers all through the book. I mean, the very first one is, uh, it says, warning, intimacy is inevitable. Mm. And that is really what I wanted to do. I wanted to provide this, you know, a guide of, okay, this is where you want to go. This is where a lot of us want to go. Our desires, and I think this is, this is relevant to, you know, the Me Too conversation as Well, uh, that I am not sure when that conversation will reach this point. But our desires are not very politically correct. A lot of the things that turn us on are not exactly things that uh, sound great, or that we would (laughs) that you want about (laughs) yes, or that you want legislated.
0: (laughs) Right? Well, let's go. Let's go there because you do have also a disclaimer about the Fifty Shades and what that represented and, and whether that's, you know, from practitioners of BDSM, whether that's, I'll let you get into it. I'll let you describe that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have the disclaimer that says it was, um, uh, I think, more shady than gray. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us why. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think there were some problematic things and I, my disclaimer is that the writing was such, and, and I am I am a writer, that I, I couldn't get through it. Many of us did feel that way in terms of the caliber of the writing. But, you know, within circles of people who are, you know, I would say sexually educated and aware and where things like consent and power dynamics are uh, very alive uh, in our conversation, there was a lot of places where the consent was Not clear. And there also was this overlay of the wealth disparity between them. Uh, So, where there were things along those lines that I just think were problematic. So, anyway, so that's as much as I will say about that. And so, really, in my book, what I do is really have people give people what is the groundwork. So, that's why the book is called Play Wild, Stay Safe. People want and need both. We have an erotic self and a domestic self. Um, and I, I refer to that. I always give credit to Esther Perel, who has a book called *Mating in Captivity*, mm-hmm, where her. she speaks to this very clearly. Um, and I believe she has a new book. I haven't read it out called uh, read it yet called *State of Affairs*. And she's done such a good job of of articulating some of these distinctions. So I think that I wanted people to have some very clear ways for both staying safe and attending to that domestic. Self that needs the predictability that needs the safety, and then once that's there and it's established, how can we then open up to this erotic side that wants uh, unpredictability, wants some of the more taboo uh, practices, right? Um, not politically correct things. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I've, so one of my other disclaimers is, you know, when curiosity is politically inconvenient, you know, we have, and you know, you you mentioned. Things are cultural, you know. I had it's like the uh, good girls don't like that. Nice guys wouldn't do that. Couples with egalitarian relationships wouldn't even try that, you know. <laughs> that those are our speaking points, but our doing points are a little bit different than that. On one hand, we say no violence in relationships. Of course, absolutely. On the other hand, it turns me on if you pull my hair. I kind of like being choked. So what do I do with that?
0: <laughs> well, I mean that's such a great point Monica because there is this almost inner conflict I think with people and again we don't get a user's manual of what is quote unquote okay and what's not and and we get into this conversation in our mind about is this normal and is this not and the two things that I'm I'm really hearing with this conversation so far is you know, doing the work to, you know, drop the the judgment and the shame. And the biggest part that you're, I think, bringing in here with this journey to intimacy is the communication piece. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can't communicate something unless you have yourself have explored that.
1: Well, actually, you can. It means being willing to communicate from a place of not knowing. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah that's where the curiosity part is really important and you know sometimes what we feel that uh, about communication is like oh well I have to tell them what I want well I don't know what I want okay that's a bind a lot of people are in yes right so the communication could be just more about curiosity And, and in fact the back of this book has 12 exercises and most of them revolve around getting curious and playful with each other playing games finding spots you know another thing i find that comes up a lot is people's sexuality uh, and sexual expression and desires change over time you know who i am now at 51 is not who i was at 41 or 31 or 21 and uh, a lot of times people just they they get this sort of habit you know a plus b equals c you know this how we get off. And then all of a sudden it changes and they panic. And then they run off for a prescription. And my thing is like, slow that down for a minute. (laughs) You know, it just might be that something is changing in what turns you on, what you want, one, what you like. Your body is changing, you know. So really also understanding that, that this is a lifelong thing. This is something, this is a part of us from the time that we're very little. You know, many people when they... Talk about um, their first sexual memories. Sometimes they're very young. They discover some. They discover something feels good, and they do it. And they're little, and then they get caught and they get shamed for it. Right? That's I, I can't tell you how many stories I've yeah. heard. yeah.
0: It, well, it's a, it could be as simple as that. I mean, of course, other people have other stories where you know there's there's more abuse involved or there's other horrific acts and mm-hmm, unconsensual, but sometimes for this that's the simplest way that it can start is like don't do that or you're shamed or it becomes it it, it gets again it gets put into this shoebox of like this is unnatural or this is not right or there's a judgment here
1: right and even people who who Do experience abuse, one of the things that's so conflicting for them is that sometimes it feels pleasurable Mm. in their body, even if it wasn't consensual. Absolutely. So, you know, these are the issues that we have in sorting this out. And honestly, it's the fact that it's one of the more complex and deeper aspects of our humanity, and yet we talk about it the least.
0: Absolutely. Well, again, that's why I wanted to have you on this show and hopefully there'll be others because
1: mm-hmm.
0: I it is such an essential part of who we are, like you said at the beginning, and we don't talk about it and you know, and it's, and again, it's not something you need to talk about to everyone. I'm not suggesting for those of you listening to get on the subway tomorrow and start having a conversation with just a random person about your sex life. But, you know, it is, there are times and places and, and people such as yourself where there could be a container of safety created where we could have these conversations, which for some of us, I would say many of us are difficult to have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, you know, cause I know that this is, this is your, zone of genius is having these conversations. And for people that are listening that you gave us that, you know, one piece uh, just a little while ago about communication and expressing like sensation and being really detailed about it. What do you find is the number one, I would say prescription that you give your clients, singles or couples to start to, I guess, remedy the challenges around this?
1: I guess I would say maybe there's two. The First one is usually to slow down, meaning that it's really easy for us to check out in high sensation moments. And so people want to kind of explore and try things and all of that. And I tell them to slow down so that they can remain conscious and aware as they're moving through. You know, one of the other things I say in the book is that some forms of lubrication are better than others. And what I mean by that is that we often use alcohol um, or other types of uh, things that lower our inhibitions so that we can kind of get to the next space, you know, try the next thing. And I encourage people, and again, it's not because I'm some kind of, you know, prude or anything like that, but it's because we often are inviting more shame into our system when we go faster into something or when we artificially lower inhibition in order to quote unquote get there then later it comes with a shame response in our body. So That makes I, sense. Yeah. So what I say to people is slow down. And then the second thing is to be playful and curious. Most adults have forgotten how to play oh yes you know <laughs> and because of this whole performance oriented thing we've also I, I would say another one you asked me for one i can never do one thing that's so. okay we love it, Bring it. <laughs> the other one is we have such a emphasis on this being so performance-based and this idea that uh what we call orgasm or climax is the goal uh i say take the goal out of the equation and in mm. fact that's something that over the years changes a lot you know men often you know in early in uh, their sexual life they can just (laughs) just are programmed (laughs) to be spreading their seeds so that's something they do a lot and then as they get older that's something that starts to change for them. Um, if you look at many of the um, Taoists had some very, very specific practices for men over um, their lifespan in order to modulate their sexual expression relative to what's happening with their bodies over time. Same thing with women. Uh, Which is one of, so
0: interesting. I have to cut in here for a second because mm-hmm. it's giving permission for the natural order of things (laughs) and working with it as opposed to, I won't name names, but some religious cultures or institutions
1: where that's just repressed or suppressed. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And some, it is something that sh- only should happen in the privacy of, of the home and with the couple, but behind closed doors, sometimes it's not repressed at all. Right. Um, that's an interesting thing. We live in a culture where there's so much sex available and, and, uh, You know, objectification and sexualization of so many things from really early on, you know, where products or consumerism or all of it, right, is sexualized. And yet, fundamentally, there's a lot of repression.
0: I just literally saw a chocolate commercial the other day, and I, I swear to God, it could have been a commercial for a porn, a porno. Yeah. It, I was watching this and I was like, where are they going with this? Like, what is this an ad for? It was like, so it was all sex and it was female. Like it was a woman. She was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being a commercial for chocolate. And I thought, yeah. okay. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. So you're, uh, you say this at the beginning of your, of your book that we're so oversexed and yet undersexed yeah. in that way
1: <laughs> yeah i mean we're we are saturated with sex and yet we're starving at the yes, same time yes that's what you said <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's insane. I I will tell you. And I one of the most fun things I got to do was I got contacted by uh, um, a company, a corporation, that they use desire a lot in their marketing. And one of the things that they realized was that they their approach to desire was become had become so overdone. They wanted a new way to look at it. And I, I couldn't have been more thrilled. Oh, that is exciting. <laughs> yeah, to step in and really, you know, what I what I did with them was just really gave them a whole new context for desire and opened it up and gave them a lot more complicated and complex bases for desire. And that, so yeah, consumerism in many ways has has commingled with our, our sexual energy and our sexual desire and expression in ways that I think have been somewhat harmful to us. I'm also not I don't come down as anti porn per se like meaning from a judgmental way but I do you know issue the a, a note in the book where I say you know if if you're using porn regularly as a tool for you know your what I call your solo sensuality or even for yourself as a you know as a couple to back down off of that it's it's there are studies that are showing that the degree to which people are looking at pornography is infringing on their ability to be with one another, you know, as real live people.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you uh, you perfect segue because I, I did want to talk about that part in your book where you talk about solo sensuality for all, all the single ladies on the call and men and the men that are listening too, because we do have mm-hmm. some men that listen. Yeah. Um, talk to us about that as a practice, right? Like not just like... Like, you know, I had a couple glasses of wine, I'm alone on a Friday night and what am I going to do? You know, like literally as a, cause I know you prescribe this as a practice for women and you know, part of the feminine and I want to go there next talking about the different energies, but part of the feminine um, and masculine too, but we're talking to women is the access to that chakra, that creativity, that reproductive, sexual, sensual area. So talk to that about that in, in the form of practice.
1: Yeah. Thank you. That's a great question. So first of all, um, and you alluded to this, where our sexual organs genitals are in our body happens to also be where our you know creativity our life force uh, all resides there right so for women in particular i mean it's it's no mistake right that's that's where we create life from you know mm-hmm. whether we choose that option or not that's built into our system right we have life force energy so it's also the repository for a lot of our shame, a lot of our anger, a lot of our negative emotions live there as well. It's One of the reasons that I don't teach a lot of people who are in the sexuality, I don't know, milieu, if you will, the sexperts, uh, teach, <laughs> <laughs> teach um, pleasure-based sexuality. I don't, um, and I'll tell you why, because I think we have to be with all of kind of who we are right the whole the totality of who we are you know we are We have lightness to us and we have darkness to us. We have, you know, we have shadow material. We have joy and we have sadness, right? All of that lives inside of us. And our sexual expression actually gives us access to so much more of our expression than we realize. And so it's one of the reasons that I talk about making it goalless when I do give it as an assignment, and you're right, I do, um, (laughs) what I'm often saying to women is don't make make it about you know, getting off or about the orgasm. If you, you know, if you climax, great. Play with the fact that you don't have to, but there might be more there for you to discover. So often it's about just for women to open up. Um, often there is, and again, for some very good reasons, either because of being shamed, being abused, having things happen non consensually, or even just wanting to be taken seriously in the world, you know, not wanting, there's all kinds of reasons why women shut down their sex. And I want to add too, not only do women shut down their sex, but sometimes they do sometimes use their sex in a manipulative way. Like I want to be clear about that. That happens too, right? Right. There's both sides. There's both. But even in that, a woman is just because you are using your sex or you have access to your sex and you're using it in a manipulative way does not mean that you have ownership of it. It just means that you see it as a tool or it's been commodified in some kind of way. This is what I use to, right, uh, attract someone in or, or get get attention that'll get me in the door of something or whatever. And again, I'm not saying anything negative about any of that in this moment. I think it's just important that we come clean, at least with ourselves, right?
0: Absolutely, because you could be leaking that sexual energy like from a place of repression where you- oh. So- or from a place of just leaking it all over the place because you think that's the only way for you to have power in the world.
1: I love the word. I'm so glad you used the word leaking. So yeah, I will tell you that one of the first workshops that I ever attended, um, I, the instructor said to me at some point, she said, did you realize that your sex walks in the door 20 minutes before you and it doesn't leave until <laughs> an hour after you've left the room? And I... I, my jaw just hung up and I was like, what are you talking about? But she was right. I had no mastery whatsoever of my sexual energy and I had and have a lot of it. And many of us do, right?
0: I'm so glad this is coming up in this conversation because that is the, the polar opposite and we haven't touched on that yet. So I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this is one of the things, again, that I, that I teach on. It's how how can you have mastery of that energy so that number one, you're not leaking it like getting it on people, you know, like schmutzing them, like oh gee, sorry, I'm just <laughs> I mean, just whoopsie. get that off of you, whoopsie, <laughs> right? And you're not using it in a way that's manipulative. So there's absolutely a middle way. It can, it's meant as a fuel, you know, it's a very, very powerful fuel. But like anything powerful, I mean, so is nuclear energy. And you gotta harness that stuff right <laughs> You've got to dispose of it properly. you've got to use it properly. you know you can use it in a bomb and destroy the earth right or you know you can use it as a power plant and you can use it to make everything go. Look at your sexual energy in the same exact way. It's such a great
0: analogy and and because there's both sides of the spectrum that are happening you know again from whatever the origins are or whatever wherever we picked it up from there's both and i could see that even with myself like the the polar opposite like where i've i you know i've gone into the the shame stuff with with sex and then i've gone into the manipulation part because it's it is it's a power and if you don't know how to use it and like you use the word mastery if you don't have mastery over it you know it could be used in destructive ways and and the destruction is always with your within yourself like it's always it could be self-destructive of this what i've seen with myself and with other people it um, can be
1: and it can be other. Other destructive. It, sure, absolutely. It really can be both, and I think it's important that we recognize that and come to terms with it. And I think you know that's where, and and yes, we do have to take responsibility for it. But but one of the things I think that happens is. Even if people are taking responsibility, meaning saying I did that and I'm sorry, it doesn't mean that they understand the mechanisms of how that happened and what they can actually do. Right. Know, oh, that's a good, that's an important point too. To make, to make a change. And again, it comes back to ownership. Even if I take responsibility, it doesn't mean I've taken ownership.
0: Right. Or mastered that or harnessed that energy, let's say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is the thing, you know, going back to the, the, the the self, practice that I love about that because I love that you say, you know, it's not about the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not about, you know, keeping the end in mind. It's literally about learning how to feel that energy in your body and how to like understand it. And one of the things that I find really sad, you know, sometimes when I talk to women and this was even the case with myself is we can't, a lot of us can't pinpoint what our desires are. Because mm-hmm. we haven't gotten in touch with that place inside of us, and that's what I really love about what you said about the solo practice.
1: Absolutely. And I've read so much about you know women who aren't uh, experiencing orgasm in their in their relationships, in their partnerships, you know, and then also you know the whole thing of faking it, all of that. you know, I'm not saying I'm not above any of that. I look, I've been there. you're like, I need this to be over. <laughs> I'm complete. (laughs) I'm complete. And yet I'm so far from, you know, but even that it's like, and yes, you know, I mean, I can make light of that. I've done that, but it's also been so much more powerful for me when it can just be a conversation, you know, with the person that I'm with, you know, here's what works. And, and it doesn't have to be, I think sometimes we think, that's why I keep emphasizing playful as well. These conversations don't have to be dry and scientific, you know, and they heavy. can be, <laughs> they can be playful. I mean, when people talk about consent and, oh, consent ruins the mood. And I say to them, not if you make or beg for it, you make a woman beg for it, you will have her consent. And that's a mystery, you know, to a lot of people, but you ask a lot of women, I mean, women get in the position of having to be, you know, the gatekeeper, right? So um, this is what we learn as young girls, at least I know I did. I'm in charge of how far things can go. I have to put a stop on it before it goes too far. I have to write, and these are boundaries and they're really important things for us to learn. But along the way, sometimes women don't get a chance to really feel our full desire. Like the minute a, a man feels are yes then they're just like then they're all in right there's not space for us sometimes to like really feel our wanting
0: mm-hmm.
1: i love that <laughs> let's talk a
0: little bit about polarity in relationships and i i love love having the conversation around masculine and feminine energy so Explain to us, if you will, let's separate them both and let's explain both of those to the audience. And then
1: how does this come into play with our intimacy? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's important to note that Polarity and gender are not necessarily the same thing. And I think that's just very, very important because. Or sexual
0: orientation.
1: Yes, absolutely. So polarity just has to exist in order to have tension. And so it doesn't matter so much what the polarity is, (laughs) but it has to exist, or else you don't have the kind of tension that leads to sexual desire in general. So masculine feminine is one of the polarities. And again, you can have a... a, Let's put it this way. Let's say 80-20 is like the rule, right? The 80-20 rule. So 80% of female-bodied people are more likely to be feminine dominant in their energy. But it does not mean they don't have masculine energy. And many of us have really learned, especially, you know, as women have gone more into careers and workplace and all of that in the last, you know, however many years, fifty years, we have definitely developed our masculine right. But that polarity in relationship is very important. And the same with men. You know, men have maybe been developing more of their feminine energy. But when you come together in relationship, you've got to have some type of polarity between the two of you in the realm of masculine and feminine. And again, there's probably more to masculine and feminine than the stereotypes, right? And we've got all this talk about toxic masculinity and all this stuff. And I think that most people really need to take a step back and familiarize themselves more with what is a healthy masculine? What does that look like? What's the expression of it? What's in that domain? And what is a healthy feminine, right? What's and what is in that domain? And it is not this. Uh, masculine is, you know, sort of the the kill, violent, damaging, and feminine is game of weak, <laughs> weak and soft, and you know, it, it's those are just not accurate, to, and they're antiquated. Like I always when I explain it to when I start
0: explaining it to clients about the feminine, I always say when I talk about the feminine, I am not talking about the fainting and smelling salts, feminine. That's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think the really important aspect of that duality that I think we've lost sight of and I'm, I'm very much a proponent of us kind of coming back into an understanding of this that they are complementary forces they are meant to be in relationship with each other there's no such thing as you know it would be better if it was all one way or all the other way those two energies crave balance with each other
0: and it's where the term like for the people listening and they're wondering like, what is polarity and what are, we, what are we talking about here? I won't say it's where the term came from, but it's how you can better explain the phrase opposites attract. Like that has nothing to do with you like butter on his toast and he likes jam. <laughs> right. it's, it's literally about polar opposites. And like you said, and I love that you just said that there needs there's a relationship between them and they're not just like, oh, well, because you're you know, an embodied female, let's say, in a heterosexual relationship that you have to take on all the feminine Mm -hmm. and you know, because you're an embodied male in this heterosexual relationship, you have to take on all the masculine. Like, I love how
1: there's an interplay and in, a uh, relationship between them. Absolutely. And some of the other polarities that I mentioned in the book are, you know, leading and following, for example. That's an important one. And that is not specific to, to gender at all. It's just that things go better if someone's leading and someone's following. <laughs> yeah. In fact, one of the quotes in here I, I say that the best leader is one who takes you to the place of your deepest desire. And the best follower is the one who is willing to go there. I mm, love that. Right. Another one is, you know, dominance and submission. That's a that's a more pronounced type of leadership and fellowship. That's a power dynamic that often brings a lot of spark with it. And of course, these things have to be consensual. Um, but, and safe, as you said. And safe, absolutely. You know, I also cover fantasy in reality that's really important <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you know we can this is where we cut ourselves off sometimes we don't want to share i don't know how much we want how wild we can be all the crazy things that we think about because we're afraid of being judged for it or we're afraid of being made to do it i have fantasies that are pretty unhealthy <laughs> Do you know, you do
0: You're reminding me of this amazing um, Australian movie that I that I watched um, when I was living in Australia. It's actually the translation of the French term "le petit le petit mort," which is the little death, and mm-hmm. which is the term for orgasm. Mm-hmm. And but it's it's called the little death. It's an Australian based film, and it's absolutely amazing and hysterical. And there's this one scene in the movie where the wife says to the husband, "She's like, you know, I just have this like fantasy that." that I want to be, like, a raped. I want you to rape me. And, of course, that's, like, like you said, it's not politically correct, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not advocating that in any other form except for in a consensual relationship. But mm-hmm. she, this was her fantasy, right? That was not politically correct that she, you know, she painstakingly told him. and And she said, I just want you to, like, figure this out and kind of arrange this. And she's, and part of it was an, an abduction fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious because there's, this husband is agonizing over how he's going to do this for a large part of the movie. And at one point he finally arranges this like elaborate, like, you know, abduction scene and like what will turn out to be this like rape fantasy for his wife. And she ends up like beating the crap out of like all the perpetrators. <laughs> not realizing that it was like part of what I oh. was doing. Anyway, you just reminded me of that because it's just hilarious. So if anyone's listening and you can get your hands on that movie, it's it's making this topic really playful. And and that's what I loved about it. <laughs> yeah, I love it.
1: I love it. Yeah. And you know, and another one that I talk about is uh, The Primal and the Sacred. And I think that's mm. A place where we keep somehow forgetting that our sexual expression can span that entire range, right? Sometimes it is just so primal, you know, just so carnal and down and dirty and all of that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like the doorway to God, And sometimes you can be in one and end up at the other, and you're like, "Wow, how did I get here?" So I think just really being open to I, I think the thing that makes me the saddest, and again, you know, you kind of asked me, you know my story in the beginning. and and one of the things that made me so sad was that I had spent so much of my life not knowing uh, a lot of this and being just in turmoil about um, Um, this whole aspect of my life. And when you get how much is possible, you know, how much it's possible to feel, how close you can actually get to someone, what intimacy can really be like when we allow it. I mean, you know, this is what we're, we crave this and yet we're terrified of it.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And intimacy, again, just to reiterate everything that we've been saying, it's, it is so much more than the act, right? Like, it's not about the act. There's so many things that come into to play. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: I love it. Monica, if you had to leave us with one last piece, besides go buy the book, which I'm going to tell everybody about, and um, <laughs> it'll be in the show notes as well, but what can you leave us with if you had one last piece of advice for our listeners?
1: I guess I would say start someplace, you know, just start looking into this more for yourself, opening up the conversation in some kind of way and incorporating something new. I just find that people let a lot of time go by and they don't really look into this. And the next thing they know, the relationship has died, the marriage has failed, the, you know, something along those lines. So I would just say it's possible that this is more important important than you realize.
0: Mm, I absolutely love that. Beautiful, beautiful ending. The book is called Play Wild, Stay Safe, The Guide to Giving and Receiving by Monica Day. Monica, thank you so much for being on the show. I love this conversation. You're an amazing guest and hopefully we'll have you back on when your other book comes out.
1: Thank you, Giovanna. I'm excited about that. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.